0: An emergency medicine professor and a working A&E doctor in the UK as well, Rob Galloway, has been writing in media about what causes dementia, which we know is a large and growing problem, and possibly the old age ailment we fear the most. And we're familiar by now, I think, with the lifestyle recommendations that will help obviate its onset. But it can still strike... Active, inquisitive, clever, sociable people. There are new drugs that can clear amyloid plaques in the brain, but not all people with them will have dementia, and not all who do have dementia have those brain tangles present. Quoting from this piece, what if amyloid is the smoke but the fire that's actually burning down your house, is something else. And that something is high blood pressure. New research out of the Centre for Healthy Brain Ageing in New South Wales proves the role of high blood pressure in dementia and questions the traditional view of what causes the disease. That's out of the Daily Mail. So let's talk about blood pressure. Dr. Julian Payton is running his own very interesting research. He's a professional, uh, professor of translational physiology and director of the Heart Research Centre at Auckland University, Manaki Manawa. Morena, Julian. Morena, Jim. Uh, great to be with you. Thank you for having me on. Nice of you to come on. Where does blood pressure come from, as it were? The opening question.
1: yeah. It's a great starting point, I think. Um, Blood pressure is defined as the force that's exerted on your blood vessels, particularly the arteries. It's a really important force because what it does is it drives blood flow. And what the body cares about, what the tissues, the organs care about, is blood flow. Blood flow is important because that's what's going to supply the tissues with what they need, which is oxygen and glucose. Many of us have experienced having our blood pressure measured with a cuff that goes around your arm. And it is easy to measure, but the thing with blood pressure is it's very difficult to know what somebody's blood pressure is from a one-stop shop visit at the GP. Because very often when you go to the GP, you in an environment which is not natural. And we know that anxiety, stress, worry will affect blood pressure. Train of thought will affect blood pressure. Time of day will affect blood pressure. So it's really important, I think, that if people really want an accurate estimate of their blood pressure, that they measure it with a device at home and they're not that expensive, but to make a diary and to measure it on repeated, repeatedly over a week or two weeks, and also making a note in that diary as to how you felt on that particular moment had you just come out of your car in a horrible traffic jam and measured it and found it to be high? Or were you actually feeling quite relaxed? Those sorts of things are very helpful for
0: GPs uh, to really understand, you know, where is your blood pressure? So difficult in a sense to measure and difficult to assess the usefulness of whatever medications you might be on to bring high blood pressure down to, Julian? Yes, a GP will select a drug
1: from a list of four or five drugs that they have to their disposal. And these drugs all do slightly different things, but they've got no idea what drug any particular patient is going to be responsive to. Um, let me get, let me um, worsen the scenario, if you like. All drugs to treat blood pressure are tested and have been tested, and they've been around for many years. We haven't had a new antihypertensive drug to treat blood pressure for about 20 years. All these drugs that we have at our disposal have all been tested on white Caucasian men. Why therefore would they work on women? Why would they therefore work on our Maori or our Pacific people in and around Auckland or our Indians or our Chinese? That's where we're at with blood pressure uh, treatment, I'm afraid. I am of the opinion that what we really do need is to start to adopt some tests, some genetic profiling tests that would allow us to better predict through
0: genetics what drug an individual will respond to. So before I get to your own work, Because that's a good intro to what you're doing. If if many people with dementia have a history of high blood pressure, then the drug-based remedies may not necessarily be preventive or efficacious. That's true.
1: We know that blood pressure-lowering tablets are effective in, in, in the majority of people, assuming that they are taken. But they're not always taken. Um, because they can cause side effects. And those side effects can be unpleasant. And if you start off with a condition such as high blood pressure, which is asymptomatic, you can't feel it, you can't sense it, there's no pain involved, why would you then end up taking a bunch of tablets that actually make you ill, Mm. make you feel ill? This is the problem that the medical profession is facing in terms of convincing patients that you must keep your blood pressure under control because it is the source of many evils to come. And here I'm talking about cardiovascular risks, such as heart failure, heart attacks, stroke, renal damage. All these things will result from high blood pressure. Atrial fibrillation is another one. So actually knock it on the head early is the message. Drugs, um, Can work, but in the majority, no, not in the majority, but in around 50% of cases, and this is true for New Zealand as well as as other countries, most patients with high blood pressure do not have their blood pressure restored to what we would consider a normal level, 95 millimetres of mercury, by these drugs. They will still remain with some high blood pressure. And the higher your blood pressure is, the higher your cardiovascular risk is, for one of those nasty events, such as a stroke or a heart attack. Now, we also have to bear in mind here that if you have other comorbidities, let's say you have a little bit of diabetes, uh, that you might drink too much alcohol, or you are overweight, or you have a sedentary lifestyle, this compounds your cardiovascular risk exponentially the chances of you having a heart attack are greatly amplified with the additions of those other risk factors. So pushing down blood pressure, which is the biggest risk factor for a
0: cardiovascular event, is crucially important. But getting back to the relationship between high blood pressure and dementia, again, before we talk a little bit about what you're doing in your lab, uh, getting, getting back to that, to what extent do you believe that high blood pressure is causal with dementia? <clears throat> Very good question.
1: And let's let me um, answer it by answering the question: uh, What causes high blood pressure in the first place? You may people may have seen women in Burma with rings around their neck. This is a traditional cultural thing to extend their neck for beauty. Those women have high blood pressure. If you also think of a giraffe who has its brain two meters above its heart, that animal has physiologically high blood pressure. It's adapted in order to be able to get enough blood into its brain to generate high blood pressure to push that blood up the neck against gravity to ensure that you have adequate blood flow into the brain. Anything that you do to minimize blood flow into the brain triggers a response by the brain to put blood pressure up. Any resistance to blood flow into the brain will cause you hypertension. Um, We know that many patients, not all, but many patients with high blood pressure have smaller diameter arteries going into their brains. And many patients don't have the full complement of arteries that take blood into their brain, which means that those patients have a higher resistance to uh, uh, higher resistance of blood flow going to the brain, which means they have poorer blood flow actually ending up in, into the brain. And so the brain therefore responds, and it elevates blood pressure. And there has been a huge controversy in the field. As to what has come first. Has the narrowing of those brain arteries caused blood pressure, or has the high blood pressure caused those arteries to remodel, as we call it, and become narrow? And Mm. that's something that we, we know occurs. But our hypothesis has been that high blood pressure is a result of narrowed arteries going into the brain, and that triggers high blood pressure. So coming back to the dementia issue, dementia being a result of poor blood pressure, we have to be very careful about treating blood pressure because if you push blood pressure down pharmacologically by drugs and you have high resistance of those arteries taking blood into the brain, then you're losing that force that you need. You're losing that blood pressure force that enables sufficient blood flow to get into the brain. So... um, there is, for sure, a emergence of crossroads between dementia and high blood pressure, and we've known this for quite some time because of the use of what's called ACE inhibitors, angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors. These drugs are used to treat both dementia and for lowering blood pressure, and those drugs can help improve blood flow into the brain. Having sufficient flow, blood flow into the brain, helps. Clearance of this plaque material, which
0: we all know is associated with dementia. You've been reported in media, this is a while back now, saying that half the New Zealanders being treated for blood pressure, and that half, of my maths is right, equals about 15% of all adult New Zealanders. Um, these people don't have it under control, and the Health Research Council awarded you a grant to look at the problem here from a different angle. So... Why don't – you've explained this in part in terms of the variability of the way medications work for different people. But that's what you're setting out, obviously, to tackle. How's your research going? Thank you, James. It's going really well, and we're really grateful to the uh,
1: HRC, the Health Research Council of New Zealand. We've just identified a detector in the brain that is sensing blood flow. This is unique, novel, revolutionary that detector automatically activates nerves coming out of the brain to blood vessels. Every blood vessel in your body has a nerve from the brain going to it, and that nerve is able to either open up the vessel or shrink it, we call that dilatation or constriction. When you activate those nerves, you constrict blood vessels. Those nerves are called sympathetic nerves, and they're all part of the fight-on-flight defense response They work very quickly. They're very powerful. Now, what we've seen in patients with high blood pressure is that the activity in those nerves is abnormally very high. Those nerves are activated by anxiety. They're activated through depression. And we know patients with anxiety, depression also have high blood pressure. It's these nerves that we're really interested in. None of our frontline antihypertensive medications do anything To reduce the activity in those nerves. And that would explain why it is we have so many patients that are taking their drugs that still remain with some hypertension because those nerves are not really addressing the cause. They're affecting the symptom. They may help dilate the blood vessel, but they're not reducing this nervous activity. Now, we also know, and this is shocking, that from epidemiological studies, That if you have high blood pressure, and even if you're on drugs, you still remain at risk of a cardiovascular event. And we believe that that is due to the fact that we're not controlling this nervous activity, this excessive nervous activity. Not only have we found this novel detecting system in the brain, but we've also detected sensory organs in the periphery. And these are called carotid bodies, and they are located on the arteries just beneath. Uh, the brain. So it's just before those arteries go into the brain. They sit, they're very small, they're about the size of a rice grain, one on each side. They sit next to the carotid arteries and they detect the levels of oxygen. And we've recently discovered they also detect the levels of glucose. And so many patients in the real world not only have high blood pressure, but they have high blood sugar. And we found therefore a nodal point, which we can target Therapeutically, to try and alleviate symptoms of high blood pressure and high blood sugar. Incidentally, and most importantly, these carotid bodies cause rises in this sympathetic activity. This is where some of the sympathetic activity, a lot of the sympathetic activity, is being generated. It's being generated by sensors in what we call the peripheral nervous system. The other good news is that we have identified why it is that these organs are are causing sympathetic activity to increase. And we are about to start a clinical trial. It's not going to be performed in New Zealand, but it's going to be performed with colleagues in Poland, who are experts at doing what we call first in human trials. So we've identified the mechanism, we've got a drug, the drug has been approved by the European Medicines Association. And this is a brand new drug. And we're Hopefully by the middle of next year we will know if that drug is able to control the activity in these nerves and lower blood pressure. Because if it is, this then
0: gives a new piece of armoury to combat high blood pressure. Yeah, an important new piece of Armory, gee, the more you talk, the more it's um, it's more we wish we'd gone back to age nineteen or twenty, and started leading a really healthy, Spartan sort of lifestyle. It's very complicated, isn't it? It is complicated, but um, I
1: think the message here is is that people should be aware of their blood pressure. They should be checking their blood pressure regularly. We're living in an in a world these days which is doing its best to increase cardiovascular disease because we're surrounded by uh, motor cars that prevent us from exercising. We're surrounded by cafes and shops that drive us to eat all the time. This is not natural. Historically, we need to think about how life was because if you look at old black and white pictures from the early 1900s, you see an awful lot of lean people you see people that you know were were walking to work or cycling to work um rather than driving their cars the whole internet use of computers has made us like jellyfish we don't move i remember as a phd student having to run down four flights of steps to go to the library i used to go to the library every day and get the latest research papers I don't even have to do anything other than just move a few fingers now to be able to keep in touch with the literature. And so if you're not careful, you can find yourself becoming completely sedentary. Again, not not normal. So our environment is doing its best to cause hypertension.
0: There are a few things... I'm still puzzled by. A while back, we interviewed Dr. Claudia Kawas, who's a neurology professor in the School of Medicine at the University of California, Irvine. She spent decades studying people at a large retirement village who make it to age 90. I think there were 1,600 of them. Many of them actually didn't take vitamins or watch what they ate much. They weren't overly obsessed with their health. and we, But we didn't talk about a history of high blood pressure, but in her 90 plus study, which I think is quite well known, she and her team found that developing hypertension at older ages may in fact protect against dementia. And understanding the mechanisms here, uh, she said, was hard. Do you have any thoughts?
1: Yes, I, I like that study a lot. You see, we work so much with diseased people, but why not work with people that have survived to 90 because their makeup, their adaptations, their genetics are survival genes, if you like. That's what we need to understand. What are the adaptations that they've made to uh, survive through life? In a way, it's a bit like looking at the giraffe, which is physiologically hypertensive. What adaptations has it made? Because it doesn't die of cardiovascular disease. Unfortunately, it gets caught by lions. But... The giraffe has a lot to tell us around adaptations needed in order to live with high blood pressure, for example. So these people have survived. They may have some hypertension, some high blood pressure, but high blood pressure alone won't necessarily cause a cardiovascular event. High blood pressure, together with other cardiovascular risk factors, will exponentially increase the chances of a cardiovascular risk. The other thing we know as you get older is, and and we know this from um, um, exercise, muscles get, you know, we feel stiffness. And that's the same for the little muscles that surround blood vessels. They begin to get stiff and our blood vessels get stiff and that doesn't help blood flow. So the reason that they survive well with hypertension is because they're overcoming the resistance to blood flow. They're having to generate a bit of high blood pressure in order to push enough blood into their organs, especially into their brain. Yeah. So it would not surprise me that in order to survive to 90, you do need a little bit of high blood pressure because your arteries have become stiff through ageing and you need that extra push, if you like, that impetus to to
0: maintain a good, adequate circulation. The people in that 90 plus study, Julian, donated their brains and the plaques and the tangles in the brains of those autopsies didn't necessarily correspond with their mental lives uh, while alive. Uh, Some of them were quite alert till they died. With 40% of the over 90s, what seemed like Alzheimer's was not. Patients had probably been experiencing tiny strokes because of low blood pressure so we're all a bit confused because it seems that lower blood pressure in midlife is good high levels bad a much older age higher is good lower is bad you've just explained why but gee it is um it is an area that is hard to comprehend with you know for most of us who don't have medical training
1: yes i i can clearly see here mixed signals in midlife, it very will very much depend on those individuals. If they have high blood pressure, do they have those other risk factors? Mm. Because if they do, that's the time you need to knock blood pressure on the head. And we're really coming back here to personalised medicine, which clearly is the way to go, particularly when you're living in a city like Auckland, where you have so many different ethnicities. Um, we're not all the same. We all live different lives. We all have a g- different genetic background. The environment that we live in will affect our our genes and will make us what we are. And some of us do a lot better than others in dealing with the day-to-day life stresses, the food we eat, et cetera, et cetera. Because low blood pressure, something we haven't talked about is also common um, and clearly causes people terrible problems, disability, getting out of bed in the morning, um, you just feel so faint, or well, you may actually be faint. So that's called orthostatic hypotension. Low blood pressure, real problem, because without enough blood, blood pressure, you don't get enough blood flow into the brain, so you fall over. It's a natural response. It puts your brain brain at the same level as your heart to try and self-protect the, the brain from um, uh, re- reduced oxygenation. So, you know, low blood pressure again tricky to treat um we also know that at night blood pressure tends to dip and dipping blood pressure is a natural phenomena but if you are on very aggressive treatment coming back to the hypertension if you're on very aggressive treatment for your blood pressure it, it, you don't want to put blood pressure down too low because at night if you get that further dipping then you may be starving your your organs from oxygen and nutrients. And that might be a trigger for early onset dementia, for example. And so we've got to be very careful about ensuring that, yes, treating blood pressure is important and keeping it within a range, not too high and not too low, absolutely critical for normal physiological function. You know, a lot of obese patients, um, again, some, some obese patients of certain ethnicities will have concomitant hypertension, but... But interestingly, other patients of different ethnicities, if they're obese, they don't have an associated hypertension. And um, we see that in, for example, our Pacific populations. So I think, Jim, there's an awful lot more we need to understand about addressing blood pressure control in New Zealand with such a multi-ethnic population, because hypertension is a source of evil. It's costing this country an absolute fortune to treat because of the sequelae of events that happened downstream. To save an awful lot of hospitalization, an awful lot of sadness and grief for families, far know, we're much better off coming back to a root cause of many cardiovascular diseases and focusing on a better
0: understanding of blood pressure and a better ways of controlling it. Your research sounds great, but the idea of personalised medicine sounds a bit optimistic in uh, a time where we almost feel guilty making an appointment with the GP because we know how many other people are trying to get in to see him or her and address their problems. You know, it's it's a tricky time, this whole idea of, this whole ideal of doctors having the time to really look after you. Well, that's
1: very true. And um, that's in a way why I think we need to help ourselves. We really do. All nations needing to help ourselves. I came from the UK where you were lucky to have five minutes to see a GP as an appointment. We still have the luxury here of having greater than five minutes. Mm. I mean, my GP gives me about 20 minutes, which is fantastic the more we can do to understand the different ethnicities uh, and the different mechanisms in these ethnicities for blood pressure, the more we're going to be he- able to to uh, push out personalised treatment. Of course, when we say personalised treatment, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be on a one-by-one person basis necessarily. It could be around ethnicities because of the genetic backgrounds that are distinct between ethnicities. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know I think there's an awful lot more that we can do, but the message I would also have is that we should be prepared to help ourselves um, um, and particularly around measurement and and, uh, and 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 doing things in our lives that will help lower blood pressure, such as exercise. Exercise really is nature's way of keeping people healthy, keeping disease under control. So uh, you know, I um, I try to lead by example, um, and um, cycle to work uh, every day. And my little trip involves going up Air Street, which is quite a steep uh, street that goes up to Parnell. And that's my first challenge of the day: can I get up Air Street? And um, I, I'm now practiced enough that I can get up Air Street. But exercising your heart, it is a muscle. And we all know that muscles only do well and maintain their strength if they're exercised. Well, it's the same for the heart. You want to do something that will raise your heart rate every day. A bit of exercise is extremely good. And I think people need to uh, perhaps do
0: more around helping themselves to keep themselves healthy. Good to talk with you. Congratulations on the research you're doing. All power to that. And thanks very much, Julian, for your time. Very welcome, Jim, and thank you very much for having me on. Kia ora.